Thank you, Sarah. Hey, can you remind us of that scripture again? What was it? Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, a great scripture. I love uh, so much about that, but what we've been talking about, and uh, thank you for that, Sarah, but Isaiah 35 might be a great scripture for all of us just to be ruminating with in this series and in this, actually, this season of resurrection. I especially was drawn to the phrase uh, that the desert will bloom. And no matter, as Sarah said, no matter whether we're in a desert moment or we're in a blooming moment, we can always count on resurrection. Amen? We can always count on that God will come through. I want to talk to you um, about somebody's resurrection story or maybe phrased differently, anybody's resurrection story. There is resurrection offered for all of us. And I love Mara's story. If you missed Stacy's resurrection story last week, check that out online. Um, but we're all invited to resurrection, no matter what's going on in our lives, maybe for the first time, um, by entering into a relationship with Jesus. Um, or maybe we've been following Jesus for a long time. I would uh, just remind all of us that today is a day of resurrection for all of us. Um, in Acts chapter 16, there's just a great illustration of this ongoing resurrection life happening in the life of some of the disciples. In this situation, uh, the Apostle Paul is kind of leading the group, and this is what it says in verse 6. It says, Paul and his companions, people like Luke, and actually Luke probably uh, authored this, so Paul and some of his companions, Timothy at that point is probably with them, uh, Silas is with them. Paul and his companions are traveling throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit keeps them from preaching the word. That almost seems like that's heretical, but obviously it's not because it's the Holy Spirit that the so it's not heretical, right? But some of us would say that's heretical. Anyway, I would not say that, but you might. Anyway, verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Man, not let them go anywhere. So this is kind of the process. Let me give you a little backdrop. We're 20, about 20 years after Jesus resurrects from the dead here. Okay, so they are traveling around. They're just trying to figure out where we're going to preach the, the good news. We know that God has sent us to preach the good news about Jesus. So they're just trying to figure out their travels, right? Verse 8, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul has a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is powerful stuff. Powerful, powerful stuff. Repeat this after me, would you? What, what they say happens, I'll say the phrase and then let's repeat it together. Concluding that God had called us. Concluding that God had called us. One more time, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they're in Troas. Let me just give you kind of a snippet of what's happening. On the other side of the Aegean Sea, 
There's a lot more convenient places for them to go. But on the other side of the Aegean Sea is Macedonia. And God gives Paul a vision, and that's good enough for them. They just say, we conclude, hearing Paul's vision, that God had called them to go to Macedonia. So it wasn't the easiest thing to do. It wasn't the most expedient thing to do, um, except it's always the most expedient thing to do when you're following God's will, right? All of us, I think all of us, even those of us that are away from God, would love to know God's will for our life in every decision we make, right? I mean, that just would make good sense, or at least most of us, I think. So we talk about that, the importance of knowing God's will. Here, they say, we believe God called us to Macedonia. What do you do when the call kind of is followed by, you're obedient to what you are, you, you get a vision, you get a prompting, you get a sense that God's leading you into something, like, this is a pretty strong sense, right? Paul actually has a vision, or, uh, you know, it's one of those things like he literally sees the invitation. But maybe the invitation's not quite as strong, but whatever it is, you get that and you walk in it, and then things just kind of go well. Things just begin to multiply, and blessing happens, and beautiful things begin to open up, and flowers bloom. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? Jesus always invites us into that, Right? I would say right, but sometimes there's some detours along the way. So they head to Macedonia, and then ultimately they will go to a place that we, most of us are familiar with, a city called Philippi. And it would be in Philippi that the Apostle Paul, for instance, would write the book of Philippians from a jail cell. So obviously, following God's call and will doesn't always go so well, because that would be one of those things like, this wasn't that. When God invited us, and we all seemed to think that this was what God was calling us to, we weren't thinking we would end up in a jail cell. But though it was, I, Claire and I have some really good friends of ours, live in a different part of the country, and um, they were on a pastoral staff of a really large, thriving church uh, on the east part of the country. Church was doing well. They had been there for a long time. He was serving as the executive pastor. She was the pastor over all the creative ministries. People were giving their lives to Christ in abundance at the church. And they had gotten to a place where they were getting invitations to go all over the place. And they would get these just checks, kind of like we read here. Didn't seem right to the spirit of Jesus to go to that place, stay where we're at. And then along the way, they were invited to take part in a ministry that they were incredibly, incredibly interested in. A ministry that would just minister, their main call was to minister to leaders from around the world. And it would be a huge shift for them to move into that place. So they began this discernment process. Should we take this opportunity? It would be things like less money, which wasn't really at the top of their list. The impact of their life was what was at the top of their list. So they took this tremendous scenario that they were living in and through a discernment process decided we are going to move our family to a whole different part of the country. We're going to leave all of the people that we love in our local church. We're going to move to this other space, be a part of this other ministry, and so we will be living happily ever after. Amen. Right? 
But sometimes it just doesn't go that way for us, does it? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. This doesn't just happen just in ministry. This happens with all of us. This isn't just a church thing. This is about followers of Christ things. That sometimes you have job A and job B, and you decide to go for job B, even though you've been in job A for a long time, but you sense that God's inviting you to job B. The minute you leave job A, that company seems to really thrive. Everybody's getting a raise and bonuses, and three weeks later, job B is going bankrupt. And you're like, God, you invited me to bankruptcy. It just doesn't feel right. And that's how this situation can look, because the story is told as they move along in in, uh, Acts chapter 16, is things, some things go good, some things not so much. So our friends, uh, just to fill you in on them. So for about 18 months, they're with this. They do make the move. They're really excited. They go to this new ministry. And within about 18 months, they're both let go from their position. Not what they planned. They had moved everything, left everything, but they had discerned and they had prayed and they had sought counsel. And it really felt good to them and to the Holy Spirit that they would go. And 18 months later, they were both out of work. They were losing all kinds of money on the house exchanges that they had to go through. Just everything was impacted in their life. I'm here to report today that God's doing amazing things. We're, we're a couple years beyond that, and God's doing amazing things in their life. But boy, it just didn't seem like that's what God would want. Could it be that along the way, God has a resurrection story for us that we're not expecting, or maybe many of them, And maybe God has resurrection stories for a lot of people because of our own lives. What do you do? What do you do when you are discerning for your children school choices? Should it be public school, private school? Should it be homeschool? Should it be be charter school? And you try to discern that out and you do your best. You get counsel. You think about the financial impact of each decision. And then you make a decision and it just doesn't go quite as well as you wanted. But you were pretty sure it's what God wanted for you and your children and your family. What do you do in those situations when it just doesn't go? You, you volunteer to be on a board or to be a part of some kind of organization that you're feeling like you can add something of great value to that organization. And before you know it, you're just being criticized. Or you're being, you're being told that uh, you, you're not really helpful. Thank you for your service, but no thanks. And you were sure it was God. What do you do? Well, the Apostle Paul and his friends, his band of merry friends, they head off to Philippi, and they've had a couple of great encounters, but then they encounter a woman who's following them around, and she, the Bible describes that she has evil spirits. And she's actually saying about them what is true. These are people of the Most High God, and what they speak is the truth of God. She's following around for days. Finally, Paul gets tired of it. He rebukes her. He comes against the Spirit, casts that Spirit out. Because of that event, they end up in jail. No trial, nothing. It's just kind of mob rule. They send them to jail. So in jail with his friends, Paul... The scripture says in verse 25, 
Now, it's not just any jail. The scripture is clear to say it's the inner jail. So let me help you that the inner jail is a no window, no ventilation area of the jail. It's kind of what we would think of as the high security part of the prison. And that's what the directive is to the jailer, is to make sure that they are in a high security place. They're put in stocks. They're, they're, they're in chains. They are, they are kind of locked against the wall. The wall, the chains are fastened to the wall. And that's where it is. And the scripture tells us this in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Hmm. Let me read it again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to him. Talk about a captive audience, right? So they are, they are listening to them sing. Now, I don't know about you, but this is not, I don't think this is normal behavior. I know some folks that work in uh, detention centers, in jails, and this would not be something they would consider normal behavior, the prisoners singing and praying so everyone can hear. But there's something in this group that's experienced resurrection in their own life, that they know that the God that invited them, in spite of the difficulty, has resurrection planned somewhere along the way. So because of that, they can sing, and I love, it's about midnight. Just think of the metaphorical picture of this. At the darkest place in your life and mine, the invitation is to get ready because somewhere, resurrection is coming. Resurrection is on its way. No matter how bleak the desert looks, No matter how dark it looks at midnight, the promise is resurrection, and these guys, these folks, understood it. About midnight, they begin to sing and pray, which brings me to our first thing to notice, and that is their focus. The first thing that we want to notice about this story is they focus on God's generosity and goodness. See, it's natural for us to not, what's natural for us in these difficult situations, in our humanness, is the natural outflow of this is to think about what's been taken from us or think about what we're lacking, not to think about the goodness or the generosity of God. But somehow Paul and Silas and the other singers and prayers in the jail cell refuse to forget that there is a resurrection promise for them. They don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know how it's going to come to pass. They just know because they have lived centered in understanding that God is generous to all of us. That God is a good God. And even when it doesn't feel so good, that God's goodness is a promise that will never fail us. I remember when Claire and I, when our, when our uh, son died, we had a friend, somebody that was close to us, that told us, please, in tears, please don't turn your backs on God. And Claire and I didn't even think about it because we had spent from the moment we gave our lives to Christ, even though it was such a painful and deeply hard moment in our life, meditating on the goodness and the graciousness of our God, not only for us, 
but for our son. Resurrection is coming. David said it this way after an extremely difficult moment in his life. Though he slay me, I will yet praise him. I will sit in a prison cell and I will pray and I will worship and I will sing. I will thank you for your goodness in the midst of my tears. It's important that we pay attention to this because it's best to get into the practice of gratitude and paying attention to God's generosity and goodness and resurrection life. It's a lot easier to live into this if you're practicing it when you're not in the desert. You can practice it in a prison cell, but it's so much harder. It is a much bigger hill to climb. And this scripture to me shows that these guys were living as an outflow of just experiencing the resurrection life of Jesus in their life. And it just began to flow. The scripture goes on in verse 26, it says, and suddenly there's such a violent earthquake. Now in that part of the world, earthquakes are not unusual, but this is a violent earthquake. So violent that everybody pays attention to it. The foundations of the prison are shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The earthquake starts to happen. The jail shakes and it's here it is. Here it is. Resurrection begins to happen. One of the resurrection moments in the story begins to happen. And this is how it happens in our life. Unexpectedly, resurrection occurs. Nobody was expecting Jesus to raise from the dead. And there are moments in our own life when we are feeling like, I can't find that there would be resurrection in the midst of this story, but it is coming. Suddenly, I love it, suddenly in your life and mine, an earthquake will happen. Something will wake us up to the power of God. Now, I don't know about you, but my second noticing here is this issue of resurrection ways because the scripture goes on. What happens then, so the chains fall off. And, and the earthquake happens. Now, they don't have electricity. Remember that. So it's all dark. It's crazy. It's around midnight this happens. And the jailer, the corrections officer, is freaking out because he has one job. Keep everybody locked up. So the scripture says that he, he begins to think, I'm going to just, I'm going to harm myself because what's worse than me harming myself would be the Romans harming me. And it's in the midst of that that we come to this in verse 28. When he wants to harm himself, Paul shouts and he says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer or the corrections officer calls for the lights, not the light switch, the torches. They rush in to the inner part of the prison. They fall down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them and asked He says to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, don't forget, another tough part of the story is they're in jail because they were walking around and this false prophetess or whatever you want to call her, the one that was saying all these, uh, saying all these true things about the apostle Paul and others, but she was doing it with an evil spirit intent. God even uses that because right here, the jailer has already had the gospel preached. He's already heard from this woman 
that these are the servants of the Most High God. Listen to what they say. So when the earthquake happens and the chains start to fall, they're standing there and this guy, he's thinking what everybody probably would have thought. These guys really are who exactly who she said they are. What do I need to do to get in line with your God? It's powerful. God will even use your pain to be the thing that brings resurrection, deliverance in your lives and others. Paul shouts to him, don't harm yourself, we are here. And then he says, what must I do to be be saved. Noticing here what we've been talking about in this whole series, resurrection waves. Paul says, don't harm yourself. We are still here. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can raise your hand on the inside on this one because I don't want any of us to embarrass themselves, but I'd be a hand raiser in this one. Who would have run out of the jail and not waited for the corrections officer? When the chains fell, if you were Paul or, or Luke or whomever, I would have been out of there. Hopefully not today, but certainly in my younger life. I'm out of here. This is obviously a free pass from God. But see, your miracle is not just for you. And resurrection waves communicates to us, and this is how the resurrection continues to be lived out in the lives of our, in our own life and in the lives of others, is there is this wave of resurrection influence and power that happens in your life and mine. And they stay there because they know there is a corrections officer that is about to show up. And Paul immediately says, don't harm yourself. In other words, I was expecting you. It's going to be okay. And I'm going to tell you how you can experience the resurrection power of God. You and your own household. Remember, we started this by saying they concluded that God had called them. This was the underlying piece. Some of us have wanted to give up on some calls and some, in, some invitations of God, some promptings. But never forget that when God calls you, God is with you. Still here because God called us here. You're still in those spaces because you have concluded that God called you to those spaces, which leads to the last piece. And I think, in our culture, maybe the most important piece to pay attention to. And it's that piece that comes with the wisdom of the correction officer, and it is this piece of humble curiosity. He expresses it by simply saying this, what must I do to be saved? Back to verse 30, he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. Then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, in the middle of the night, the jailer, the corrections officer, took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and his household were baptized. I don't know, I haven't, I, I've, I've been around a lot of people that have been in jail, and I've been around a lot of people that have helped 
uh, keep people in jail. And those two groups don't usually have dinner in the middle of the night, but here it happens. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds because they had been beaten before they came to jail. And immediately he and his household were baptized. The corrections officer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he came to believe in God. In other words, he came to experience a resurrection. He and his whole household. There's two other times this term kind of clearly shows up. It shows up multiple times in a different variable throughout the New Testament especially, but this, this, this ask of what must I do to be saved. The first time that we, um, well, not the first time, but the time, uh, one of the times that we see it is in the book of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people give their life to Christ because they ask Peter, what do we need to do to experience resurrection? Because that's what Peter's talking about. And the other time is a guy that I think is one of the most beautiful pictures of humble curiosity in the scripture. And it's with a guy named Nicodemus who had spent his whole life studying the scriptures of that day. He was, a, he was an expert in the law. If anyone could have been confident in their understanding of God and the ways of God, it would have been a guy like Nicodemus. But the scripture says he comes at night, kind of like this story. And he asked Jesus, what do I got to do? What does everybody have to do to experience the resurrection? What does it take to be saved? And Jesus tells him, essentially just, you need to repent of your sins to this guy who was living his life trying to be perfect. And then you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. So we all fall in that that category. We're either part of the 3,000 that are away from God because we just haven't, we've been avoiding God, or we're a part of the Nicodemus group that we have been on this religious training process because, see, resurrection is for every moment of your day and mine. If you have been serving God for a long time, the question of what must you do to be saved is a question that's still important for you. Because you're still being invited to more and more resurrection in your life. Or for you, maybe the first time, you're being asked to ask the question, what must I do to be saved and to live into humble curiosity? Which leaves me with the question I just want to give to all of us, including myself, as we go into prayer. And here it is. Are you living with a humble curiosity? If you've never given your life to Christ, the first place to answer that question would be by giving your life to Jesus, whether you're in this room or you're watching online. And if you have known Christ and you're on the journey with Christ, it's a great question. Are you living a humble curiosity? Are you still on the grow? Are you still becoming the person 
that Jesus has invited you to be. I encourage all of us to lean into that. So God, even on this day, we receive resurrection power in our lives. We come before you with humble curiosity, oh God. Pray for my friends that don't know you, that have been away from you, avoiding you, whatever whatever the story is. I pray, God, that on this day, they would simply do what the jailer does in this story. What must I do, O oh God, to be saved? And that they would receive the answer that is salvation and resurrection is only found in you. So God, let there be repentance of sin for all of us and acceptance of your life into ours, resurrection life. And then for those of us, God, that have been on this journey, I pray that we would so understand, no matter where we're at in our journey, how important being curious and humble when it comes to you. We see in part, Lord, one day we will see face to face. But since we see in part and since sometimes we feel like we're invited to things and then tough things start to happen, it can become easy to forget that resurrection is on its way. Let resurrection flow in our lives. Let resurrection flow in this room. Let it flow into the lives of every beautiful person out there, every wonderful person, every person that you so magnificently created, which is all of us. Let your resurrection life and power flow into each and every one on this day. And it is in the beautiful name of Jesus that we receive your love on this day. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Sing the song known as the doxology, praising our God with thankful hearts, praising Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise Father, whom blessings blessing that comes your way. And so God be with you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And would you just look around and give someone the sign of peace? Or like this, however you want to say peace. And peace be with you, friends. Have a week full of the acknowledgement of God's love. Amen.